are you? It's been a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm good. Just, you know, living the dream. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with me, as always. No problem. Um, I have kind of exciting news before we get into our topic of the week. What's that? My short film is fully funded. Awesome. An anonymous donor, well, some I know who they are, but they want to remain anonymous, right. who is not related to either myself or Jake, has funded <gasps> the whole film. Wow. So now I can just have fun on Indiegogo instead <laughs> of worrying about having to try to be impressive. Now, can you earn over your goal like you can on Kickstarter? Yes. Oh, that's good. And they donated, they donated, they just handed us a check. Wow. So it's not on Indiegogo, which is nice because we did the flexible funding campaign, which means they get like 9%. Mm -hmm. So they don't get 9% of that. Awesome. Screw you, Indiegogo. Yeah, thanks for helping us fundraise, jerks. (laughs) Keeping all of this. I'm going to look for some campaigns to pay some stuff forward to, though. That's going to be my way of paying back. So. Oh, that'll be good. But, um, so tell me about your weekend geek. Living the dream. Living the dream. Um, really, the week of Easter, I did nothing. <laughs> that is the dream for me. Yeah, I just worked. Um, but then on Saturday last week, the mid-series premiere of Doctor Who happened. I haven't seen it yet. Was it awesome? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was totally amazing. It was so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a lot of a lot of hype going into it, and I I think that it was much deserved hype. I've completely fallen in love with Matt Smith. Oh, it's hard not to. I didn't expect <laughs> it. I really didn't expect it. I I. I never, I don't know. It's an unexpected love hours. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's hard to get used to a new doctor. It is. It's a rough transition. Yeah. But he's so energetic, and I like his. He's he's smoldery. <laughs> yes, that's a good word for it. It's good. It's good uh, stuff. I was telling Joey while while we were watching the premiere that um. What's so interesting about his version of the Doctor is that he he's always, like, amazed by everything or intrigued by it or just overjoyed yeah. with it. Even, like, if he's diffusing, like, this bomb that could blow up 25 planets, <laughs> you know, he's, like, elated by it. Like, he's laughing and clapping his hands. and That's a really good point. And he, by the end, he'll be like, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, he's sort of in such awe of everything. And himself, sometimes. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd be in awe of myself if I was the doctor. Yeah, me too. <laughs> now that you say that, I'm thinking back to a lot of his episodes, and that was just, that's so true. Like like the dinosaurs on a spaceship episode. Yep. He was like, pro-conservational. That was a good episode. It was a good episode. I just, was... I love it when they do stuff like that. They're like, hey, let's put dinosaurs on a spaceship. Okay. <laughs> Hey, here's some subtext about us destroying our planet and racism. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe no one will catch it. Maybe they'll accidentally. I think that's the hope of all sci-fi writers is that readers or watchers of your material will accidentally learn something and then become better people before they catch on to what you're doing. That's my hope, too. And I don't even (laughs) write sci-fi. I'm, uh... 
it's I don't know what I was gonna say. I really need my coffee. That's okay. <laughs> Take a quick chug break. Blah blah blah. It's not in here yet. And I can't move because I've got all my facelift bandages holding my <laughs> headphones to my face. Facelift bandages. That's what it looks like because I had to put the knit cozy for my ears, the thing you would see in like a nineties ski movie. Uh-huh. And then I had to put like two Richie Tenenbaum tennis headbands over that. <laughs> It's disturbing. Please go on Amazon and buy some new headphones when we're done. I look like the the brain that wouldn't die. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, I also, a new game came out that I love. I know I talk about games a lot on here, but... That's okay, that's your thing. Talk um, away. It's called Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate. Great name. Yeah, and um, I got it Saturday before last, so coming up on three weeks. And I've already spent a little over 50 hours on it. Must be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has a feature where if you you have it on the 3DS and the Wii U, you can transfer your save file back and forth. Cool. So I've been able to take it to work with me and stuff. <gasps> That's awesome. So does it look... Tell me what it looks like. Because I know that you play all kinds of different games, a lot of indie games too. So does it look like your traditional... Tomb Raider, like, is it a third-person shooter, or... It's a it's a third-person game, and it's... It, you can shoot in it. The, the guns are a weapon, but mostly you're using big swords and hammers to bash bash the crap out of giant monsters. Cool. <laughs> hey, you know who else used a giant hammer once? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Guess. Um... <laughs> Spike on Buffy? <laughs> Close. Buffy herself. <laughs> I couldn't help it. You said giant hammer. I was like, Buffy used a giant hammer. Well, all, all things lead to Buffy. Uh, hot pocket. <laughs> Buffy oh, yeah. ate a hot pocket once. I bet Sarah Michelle Gellar ate a hot pocket. I bet James Marsters ate a hot pocket. Speaking of James Marsters, <laughs> I'm torn because tomorrow there's a going to be a really awesome costume Doctor Who party. Oh. here in town with my fellow geeks and uh, I really want to go but I don't have a costume and I hate showing up to things without costumes so I might just show up as Han Solo and be like what? I was confused <laughs> but uh, also I'm going to going to in quote marks a live Ghost of the Robot show that they're streaming via satellite on Stage It that should be interesting I'm very excited about it Man, remember James that? Marsters live on my <laughs> computer, and I can pretend like when he looks at the camera that he's looking at me. He probably is. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Pathetic. <laughs> Where's my coffee? <laughs> um. Oh, what was I gonna say? It's something gone. about how pathetic I am. <laughs> Oh, no, I was going to say you should tell people who what Ghost of the Robot is for people like me who just had to Google oh. it. Oh, <laughs> no wonder you were like, that's fun. Enjoy that. <laughs> Whatever. Ghost of the Robot is um, a band that I like, but it is it just happens to be fronted by James Marsters. <laughs> Convenient. But I will honestly say this. I genuinely like their music. That's good. Yay, coffee and a Wolverine mug. Jake's laughing at me. What did you just say? I can't hear you because I have these headphones taped to my head. 
<laughs> just gave me a double thumbs up. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Oh. Like this outfit? I like the helmet. It's not a helmet. Get out. <laughs> Except come back when I need more coffee. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about Ghost of the Robot. It may have started as something James Marster-centric, but I genuinely, Scout's Honor, grew to like the music. And I now have all of their albums, and I have favorite songs. They are kind of weasery, and I like my music with a lot of angst, and there's a lot of angst. Yeah. Um, and they're very experimental. They're definitely a rock band, but um, each album is almost like a different genre. Gotcha. Which is interesting. And um, when I dropped Lindsay off at the airport a couple Fridays ago, no, that would be last Friday, time is wonky when I haven't had coffee. I listened to, like, all of their music all the way home and cried all the way home. Oh. <laughs> Double pathetic. Sad stories. <laughs> this, well, that's what we should just call this week sad stories because our topic of the week is Mr. Roger Ebert. Yes. Who passed away yesterday from cancer. And he, he like, I didn't know he, I knew he wrote for the Chicago sometimes, but I didn't know he actually, like, lived here. Um, I'm mad because they're landscaping outside my window and I'm trying to have a moment! <laughs> so if you hear that, okay, tell me how loud that is. Can you hear that? Um, a little bit. It's yeah, not too bad. So annoying. On this very special episode of Lawnmowers Incorporated. <laughs> Stupid idiot. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to press on. It's really quiet now. You're fine. Give it five minutes. They super heart cutting the foliage outside of my window when I'm trying to talk to somebody. <laughs> okay, so um, tell me what you know about Roger Ebert. And then I, I will fill in the blanks for you because I'm, I'm an Ebert fangirl. Let's see. What did I know before about 8.10 this morning? Yes. Was that he uh, reviewed films with a uh, another fellow, and they used to do a oh, thumbs up. Hello. Another th They used to do a thumbs up thingy. You're spot on, sir. <laughs> um, but I have read more. I basically read his Wikipedia entry this morning. Um, sorry that I requested to make the topic something that you don't know about. That's <laughs> okay. Now. <laughs> I can do research on the fly. Um, well, I have a lot to say about him, so you're, you are going to have to interrupt me a lot, because I'm very sad this morning. That's understandable. There may, there may be tears at some point. Um, I actually brought his book into the office with me, one of them. My favorite book of his is called I Hated, Hated, Hated This Movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I loaned it out because I, I think about half of the books that I own are in the hands of other people because it seems like a crime to me to read a book and then put it on a shelf like it's a collector's item when you could be disseminating that information. Right. Um, so that's out right now. It's out of the Audrey library. So instead <laughs> I brought in with me your movie sucks, <laughs> which is another favorite of mine. And here come the hedge trimmers. <laughs> really? Really? Did you know he was uh, pursuing his PhD in English? 
and then had to leave whenever he was uh, offered a full-time job at the Sun-Times. I did not know that. Yep. That's a new fact for me. Gave up, gave up his doctorate to, to write for the newspaper. More proof that majoring in English is a legitimate career choice, something I used to argue mm. all the time since I did that. <laughs> I have to move. Hang okay. on. We're going on a little trip. I've got okay. my Wolverine mug and my Your Movie Sucks and the iPad and my Brain That Won't Die bandages and we're moving. <laughs> I wish Wait. Jake was filming this right now. <laughs> yes, me too. Where can I go that's safe? Oh, man, I'm going to have to podcast in the bathroom. Uh-oh. Sad. But kind of fitting. I feel like when people are depressed in movies, they sit in bathtubs a lot, so I'll just do that. <laughs> okay. If you spill your coffee, it won't make a big mess. <laughs> I'm going to spill it on purpose now. Okay, sorry for all the moving. That probably made a bunch of noise. That's okay. Okay, so... um. I didn't know that he was pursuing his PhD when he was hired by the Sun-Times. Um, we kind of grew up with him, you know? Yeah. His show was called At the Movies with Gene Siskel. And they were super fun to watch because they argued all the time. <laughs> Something we should consider. <laughs> if we want to get more viewership, we need to stop being so nice to each other. That'll be hard. I can't do it. <laughs> Can't do it at all. I read that their show did it started on PBS and did it stay there or did it move? It moved. It went into syndication. Um, funny enough, he is actually the one who taught Oprah about what syndication was and how to go into it. Hmm. He's the one who advised her. So. Oh, I Not see that. Buena Vista Television syndicated it. A Disney company. Yes. Also responsible for the such treats as the Golden Girls. I know. Bringing us all the good things in life. What a Vista television. <laughs> um, the first time I remember having a conscious feeling about Ebert, other than just watching his show, because I loved that show. I used to watch it when I was a kid. It was on Saturday afternoons where I lived in Indiana. And the first time I remember feeling... Anything about Roger Ebert, it was defensiveness. Mm. Because um, another one of my favorite shows, The Animaniacs, did a uh, segment about Siskel and Ebert. I don't I, think they called them Siskel and Ebert. I, I vaguely remember that. What do you remember about it? Just curious. I I remember they made one of them incredibly fat. Mm-hmm. That's about all I remember. <laughs> well, that's funny because that's what made me upset. I don't remember what age I was. I might have been like 11 or 12. I don't know. But uh, they made Ebert's character like ridiculously fat. And normally, I mean, I love the Animaniacs. They could do no wrong. But that that was like the one time that they made me mad. Yeah. Because it got very itchy and scratchy. Because at one point, they, it was really disgusting. They shoved like a hose into the Ebert character's fat. And they were using it to butter the popcorn. I remember that. <laughs> it was truly disgusting. Truly. But, I mean, funny, but I just remember being like, hey. That's gross, though. Stop making fun of Ebert. I was, like, really upset about it. Um, and then I didn't, I you know, I kept watching his show, but I didn't really get into him again until graduate school. Um, my first year, I was walking around... 
I used to just like haunt bookstores. It was probably pretty pathetic. Like I would go to half price books and literally hang out for like four hours, partially because they never kicked me out. (laughs) (laughs) But you can, you can go into like the half price books in Indianapolis and uh, just camp out. And so I found out that he had published a bunch of collections of his movie reviews. um, And I started reading and it was addictive because the thing about Ebert was that he was actually a really, I said this on Twitter yesterday, but he was a, a brilliant comedy writer. Yeah. It's just that his genre was movie reviews. <laughs> and so I, I sat one day in half price books for hours and I read all of, I hated, hated, hated this movie. And it was hysterical. Uh, there have been just a handful of books that have made me laugh out loud. Um, Tina Fey's bossy pants, Rachel Dratch's, um, oh man, I just mailed that book off to somebody too, so I don't remember the name of it. The girl. With stuff. Girl, midlife miracle. I think it's midlife miracle. That one. And then, um, pretty much any, anything by Roger Ebert. And so there's, you know, the fact that he's funny. But then there's also the fact that I feel defensive of him as a critic because I think society needs critics desperately. I think we, I don't think we know the difference anymore between internet trolls and legitimate critics. And I feel like Ebert represented for legitimate critics really, really well. Yeah, definitely. Like that was a track I feel like I could have gone on with my life has just become a professional critic. Um, it was something I was trying to do for a long time. You know, I wanted to move to Austin and work for Ain't It Cool and all that stuff. Like every geek, I dream of this, probably the same handful of dreams. <laughs> that was one of them. But I, I don't know. I guess when a celebrity dies that you care about, it's kind of an egocentric thing. Yeah, that's true. I feel like we've lost a lot of celebrities in our lifetime. Yeah. I guess everybody, I guess every right. generation goes through that. To every generation, there is a slayer. Audrey, <laughs> come on! <laughs> Honestly. Keep it together for the sake of Ebert. I can't stop. <laughs> Go to rehab. Sorry, I'm trying to soundproof some more. Is, is it echoey in here? Oh, very slightly, but it's not a, it's not a big deal. Okay. Moving again. All right. Um, yeah, the last significant one for me was Nora Ephron. Yeah. Um, that one, I actually cried harder when I found out about Nora Ephron. But again, I think because it was an egocentric experience. I hate to say that because it doesn't mean that I'm not saddened by the loss of that person. On a, on a selfish level, my first thought is, oh, they're not going to make anything else. So I'm going to be deprived. Yeah. But then, on she another... Did, she did Julie and Julia. I like that movie. She also wrote a lot of books. She was a writer for years in Washington, D.C., and she wrote, sort of like Ebert, she wrote columns and reviews of things, and um, she was a newspaper journalist for a long time. And just, I, I have a lot of her collections of books and things, and she, she was a brilliant essayist as was Ebert. Essays are kind of, I think, a lost art. We don't, we don't, I feel like as a culture, 
we don't look at essays as something valuable. We're like, yeah, yeah, where's your book? Where's right. your website? You know, and it's like people don't understand that essays are a valid art form all by themselves. Or like any schmuck can put up a website. Yeah. Like the name me. is something dumb, like Born for Geekdom. <laughs> <laughs> or Ro- Robo Awesome. <laughs> well, I think in a lot of ways, like, Born for Geekdom always changes with whatever phase I'm going through in life. And like, but I started because I wanted to be an essayist like Will Wheaton or who is, you know, gosh, I don't even want to say that, but I mean, there's Nora Ephron and there's Roger Ebert and like, there's, you know, the new kids who haven't maybe reached the apex of their art form yet. Right. Like Will Wheaton. So I don't mean to put him down, but I, I also, He's not in the same club yet, you know. I'm sure he knows that, but... I'm sure he will be eventually, too. Most definitely. It just... Writing takes... It takes a lot of work, and, uh... I don't know. I'm just sad. I'm sad, Aaron. I was. I read something on his Wikipedia that I really liked, because I review video games, and he said that, um... His critical approach to films was relative, but not absolute, and that he reviewed a film for what he felt would be its prospective audience. And I think, at least in game reviews, not very many people do that. <laughs> I think I think I try to do it. Um, it's hard sometimes. But I like to think that I could, like, say, review a football game and score it based on its merits as a football game, not, yeah. not score it because, like give it a low score because I hate football, which I do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly what I mean about why we need, we need criticism. Yeah. And oh, it's, a... it's a lost thing. Now everybody's trying to be, it's like Ebert accomplished so easily. It came so natural to him to legitimately critique a film. And then he could also be funny, but he wasn't funny for the sake of being funny and he wasn't funny for the sake of being snarky. His humor came from his telling the truth, but he was only telling the truth based on the theory that you just described, which is that, look, I'm not going to say that the tuxedo with Jackie Chan, I'm not going to go into it and expect it to be Schindler's List and trash it because it's not Schindler's List. I'm going to kind of make fun of it because here are all the things that were wrong with it. Anyway. Well, there's a quote where he he says, um, when you ask a friend if Hellboy is any good, you're not asking if it's any good compared to Mystic River. You're asking if it's any good compared to The Punisher. And my answer would be, on a scale of one to four, if Superman is four, then Hellboy is three, and Punisher is two. See, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I, me too. I, there, there were a lot of people on... Um... A lot of people on Twitter yesterday saying, well, I didn't agree with them very often. And it's so funny because I feel exactly the opposite. I like almost always, 9.5 times out of 10, agree with him. Yeah. I thought he was very, very, very astute. Oh, gosh, I just read further down. He says something about, have you seen The Human Centipede? No, and I don't plan to. Well, if you can view it and go into it realizing you will be slightly disturbed, but also maybe laugh at it, then it's, it's okay. But, uh, um, I've not heard that yet. That makes it better. Well, my sense of humor is a little sick, too. So That's okay. <laughs> Mine too. I, I live on the dark side. He said, um, 
because he declined to rate Human Centipede at all. He said, is the movie good? Is it bad? Does it matter? It is what it is and occupies a world where the stars don't shine. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually dog-eared some of my favorite reviews. Um, some of them, because they have truly great comedic opening lines that also sum up the entire review. Yeah. Can I read some of my favorite opening lines and then maybe I'd like to close out the podcast today by reading his review of the tuxedo? Sure. Okay. So favorite lines. Um, for his review for Jenny McCarthy's Dirty Love, which got zero stars. <laughs> the first sentence is, Dirty Love wasn't written and directed. It was committed. <laughs> Talk about a great... Like, he could have been a comedy writer, you know? <laughs> um, for for Resident Evil, he has this... This is his opening paragraph. Resident Evil is a zombie movie set in the 21st century and therefore reflects several advances over 20, 20th century films. For example, in 20th century slasher movies, a knife blade makes a sharpening noise when being whisked through thin air. In the 21st century, large metallic objects make crashing noises just by being looked at. <laughs> Which is great, because it's so true. Um, and then another one <laughs> for the movie 13 Ghosts. Do you remember that movie? Yes. Set First sentence, 13 Ghosts is the loudest movie since Armageddon. <laughs> Um, let's see. I got them all dog-eared. Oh, um, can I, can I read the first, it's just the first paragraph of his review of the remake from 2006 of The Hills Have Eyes. Sure. Because I think it's a astute critique of the whole genre. He goes for like a whole genre. He's like, this movie is what's wrong with the whole genre. So The Hills Have Eyes. It always begins with the wrong gas station. In real life, as I pointed out in my review, review, in my review of a previous wrong gas station movie, most gas stations are clean, clean, well-lit places where you can buy not only gasoline but also groceries, clothes, electronic devices, Jeff Foxworthy CDs, and a full line of Harley merchandise. In horror movies, however, the only gas station in the world is located on a desolate road in a godforsaken backwater. It is staffed by a degenerate who shuffles out in his coveralls and runs through a disgusting repertory of scratchings, spittings, chewings, twitchings, and leerings while thoughtfully shifting mucus up and down his throat. <laughs> and then he goes on to tell him about, you know, why would they take this guy's advice and take a shortcut? And it's just, he's just funny. It was just really funny. There's a really funny scene in Cabin in the Woods involving the wrong gas station where they're basically make, making fun of that trope. I saw, um, I've been reading all the advanced reviews for Evil Dead that I could find. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are talking about that um, they wish that the Evil Dead remake would have come before Cabin in the Woods because Cabin in the Woods did such a great job debunking modern horror that it it took some of the bite out of Evil Dead, even the remake. Oh, yeah. I could see that. I just don't think I can see it. I think it'll haunt me forever. Oh. I don't you're, think I'm brave enough. You're so sensitive. I am with horror movies. I'll be <laughs> thinking about it for like the rest of my life. I'm already worried enough about North Korea. I don't need Evil Dead things in my brain. Um, the first one is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's currently sitting at like a, oh gosh, 59 is its meta score. That's not very good. I feel like 
the Metascore for the Evil Dead remake shouldn't matter. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like the people who are going to go see it should know. Plus, you have to think of, too, like, there's probably some doofus on, like, horrormoviesareawful.com that's being indexed by Metacritic, who gave it a zero. That's bringing the average down. Right. It's like, come on. There's always that performative jerk who's going to be like, no, it's the worst thing ever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, maybe it is the worst thing ever, but it's supposed to be. Right. My parents tell this story. Um, I went, I got really into the Evil Dead series in college. Um, my sisters were into it growing up, but I didn't catch on to it until college when a friend reintroduced me because, hello, I'm a wuss. But um, <laughs> I brought the Evil Dead movies home, specifically Army of Darkness. And I brought it home to show my parents because sharing movies is like just, it's like a love language in our family. And I thought that they would really appreciate, looking back, I can see where I went wrong, but I thought they would appreciate the like three stoogesness of it. And my, um, my family loves horror movies. Yeah. Not so much my dad, more as my mom. She's like classic, you know, universal horror fan, but she'll watch literally anything. Like she called me last week and she was like, well, I just did a double feature. I watched the new Dawn of the Dead and then Day of the Dead. And she was like breaking it down. And she was like, I don't know. There was too much running. Like, <laughs> you know, like she's like the total opposite of me. She, there's no nothing wuss about her. Like she'll watch anything and be undisturbed by it. You should recommend she watch my favorite zombie movie, Shaun of the Dead. I think that's like one of her all-time favorites. <laughs> that's a fantastic movie, but it also gave me nightmares. <laughs> So weak, weak-minded. All you have to do is picture Nick Frost's like big goofy face going bollocks, and then it's not scary anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, I think zombie movies are tough for people who are claustrophobic. Yeah, I and I'm a, li- I'm a little claustrophobic. Hmm. And I also have a thing about um, societal discord because I believe that we're all like I think we're all one bomb scare away from ripping each other's faces off you know like society is so tense anyway and so yeah i definitely think think it's pretty fragile it is especially right now it's tenuous this grip on reality thing that we've all got going on and so you know disaster movies are not my favorite anything apocalyptic unless it's something with humor and that, that may be why i'm sorry i have to go there that may be why one of the reasons why I enjoyed Buffy so much is because it was like psychologically healthy for me. Yeah. To see the scary things treated with such humor, you know? Yeah. I, I'm thinking back on like the scary movies I actually like, and they're all, they're all silly ones mm-hmm. like drag me to hell and evil dead and Shaun of the dead. And yeah, I would they're say they're not spoofs. They're not, you know, like naked gun spoofs, but they're, they're still scary. They're still yeah. like I, I still think Shaun of the Dead is legitimately is legitimately scary. Like they treat it like it's a real thing. It's not like and then a zombie slipped on a banana peel, you know? Right. They're still gonna eat your face off. <laughs> His mom still turns into a zombie. The scene where he first wakes up after the zombie apocalypse thing has happened and he doesn't notice the differences right away. <laughs> I feel like that would be me. Yes, exactly. Like, I think that's got to be in the top. Here I go with one of my lists again. It's got to land in the top all-time 25 horror movie scenes. 
I would be like looking at Twitter, listening to a podcast in my headphones. Yeah. And a zombie would be lumbering like five feet behind me. <laughs> That's why it's so brilliant. It's this idea that how would you really react? Like I'm not gonna, if something like that ever happens, I'm not going to turn into me a, Yovovich, jo Jovovich. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know how we are. Mia, Mia J. <laughs> not gonna turn into that. I don't have that inside of me. I would be like, run for your life, girl. You know. Yeah, I'd be like, where's the closest fort that I can take over? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fort. Stay away from shopping malls. I do live right across the street from Walmart, so I feel like that would be. I think that Good would be. Bad. I think that would be a bloodbath. Really? Yes. <laughs> the first place they're gonna go. Yep. <laughs> there was some novel I read when I was a kid where a, a plague killed all the adults, and the kids go to live in the school, and then they go to live in like a Walmart warehouse. Except it's not Walmart in the book. It's like. Fun mart. Small smart. <laughs> and I feel like. Yeah, that's a good point, though. It's probably the first place everybody would go. Yeah. And they have guns at Walmart, too. Oh, they have guns everywhere in Florida. <laughs> I bet. I have a gun in my hands right now. I don't even know how I got it. <laughs> State law, I have to carry it. Sorry. I have to wear one of those, like, Old West gun holster things at all times. <laughs> it's scary down here, man. Is Jeb Bush still the governor there? No. Thank God. Wait. I'm so embarrassed to tell you I don't know. No, it's not. It's not. I know for a fact it's not. Hang on. Hey, Jake. Yeah. Jeb Bush is not the governor anymore, correct? He's not. Correct. Okay. Hey, can I have a refill on my coffee? <laughs> yes. Pronto. Yeah, can I have some more? You want some more? That's from Fifth Element. <laughs> um, um, your governor yeah. is named Rick Scott. There it is. Also a Republican, I believe. Probably. Scott. <laughs> Thanks, man. This is a really good start for that. I know. I don't want to talk about it. It's weird that I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> All part of the grief. That pouring sound was, like, so crystal clear. <laughs> I, I felt like I was drink Folgers when I'm podcasting from the bathroom floor. <laughs> I say I felt like I was listening to a coffee commercial for a second. Ooh meth, ooh meth. Remember that fake meth commercial from when we were in high school? Yes, that was the best. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm cleaning like the Rachel Laycook in that meth commercial. <laughs> no, that the... I'm sitting here. Was that the same one where she thought there was bugs all over her head? I may be getting my meth PSAs mixed up because <laughs> there was the one with the fry, with the eggs too. Yeah. She's like, "This is your face, a meth." <laughs> <laughs> they should re-air that every Easter because <laughs> the eggs. And <laughs> yeah, then yeah, there's, <laughs> there's one where she's doing something and then she freaks out and thinks there's bugs crawling all over her head. Yeah, she's like, that's "The right. bugs, the bugs, <laughs> get them off me." That would be me if I ever tried drugs. I would be the person for something to go instantly horribly wrong. My head would explode, and I'd be like, ah, first case of head explosion. That's what she gets for breaking a rule. 
Uh, well, the Cleaner Girl one is on YouTube if you want to watch it again. Yes. I sing that song in my head all the time, but it's not the kind of thing you can hum out loud. <laughs> You'd be like, ooh, Beth, because people will be like, um, you need to see a counselor. <laughs> no, I just really like this jingle. It's funny because there's a girl at work and we always <laughs> we always joke about meth. And we're like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. Do you have any meth? <laughs> If you can't joke about meth, I don't want to live in that world. Yeah, me either. But our, my bo our boss is always like, could you please stop joking about meth? Please, not in front of the customers. They're all meth addicts. You'll well, offend them. And I'm a, I get a little deadpan sometimes, so I think she has a hard time telling if I'm joking or not. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so my mom, I don't know if you know this, but Amo has turned into... Back to the Future 2's Biff Tannen's Casino Future. Oh, God, no. It's pretty bad. Like, all the properties are rental properties now, and there's a biker gang. <laughs> but they don't have motorcycles. They're, they're a puppy. <laughs> no, no, gangs. when I say biker gang, I mean it's a really, it's a gang of people on bikes. I did encounter a gang of girls on bikes this week when I was out to exercise, and I instantly got that same exact feeling I used to have when I was a kid where I was like, oh, God, they're going to make fun of me. Like, it never goes away. I was afraid. That's, That's why you true. should exercise indoors like I do. Or <laughs> not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so... Meth. Okay. So my mom... Um, Does the, a lot the, of meth. <laughs> the house behind her was open for rental. Because it's Amo. And the neighbors in there came to her back door one day and they were like, Hey, can we use this outdoor outlet? And like, she was like, sure. Cause my mom like, is, doesn't like, it's just nice and never would ever consider that somebody might be doing something bad. She was powering their meth lab. Oh my God. For how long? Um, hope luckily only not, not very long. I think, I don't know, a week or two tops, which is still pretty bad, but. So they were in an abandoned house. With the meth lab with stolen electricity. Yes. <laughs> Amo. Amo, ladies and gentlemen. The meth, <laughs> meth lab of the Midwest. I have this dream. Do you have, like, dreams of what you would do if you had Bill Gates money? Um, Maybe daydreams, but if I have dreams at night, I don't remember them ever. Oh. Well, daydreams count. count. Okay. Sure. All so the time. So I have these daydreams about, like... Going back to Amo, I mean, I'm I'm joking. It's not, it's, there are not biker gangs. And I think there was, like, just the one meth lab incident. And, like, it's not that bad. Like, it's not bad at all. It's actually a fine place to grow up. Everything's fine. Please, nobody yell at me. <laughs> but um, I do have these daydreams that I'll go back with my filmmaking dollars. Because it's very likely that I will become rich off of making short films. Absolutely. And <laughs> Look at Kevin in. Smith. I know. Well, it can happen. <laughs> I watched a couple Kevin Smith movies this week, by the way. <laughs> I'm feeling very independent. Um, and I'll go back and I will like repave the roads and I'll put all new sidewalks in and I'll put in old timey lamp posts <laughs> and I'll institute like a Christmas festival every year and there'll be street food and I'm I'll build a film studio there and we'll have like this Midwest. It's it's bizarre. <laughs> I don't know how I got on this topic. I think I think when you're broke, you spend a lot of time dreaming about what you would do with millions and millions of dollars. So true. 
so true. Mine always involves building a film studio somewhere. Yep. I said that like mine does too, but it doesn't. Yep. <laughs> what does yours involve? Um, I always kind of have this dream that I would buy one of the like mega video game websites and then gut it. <laughs> For the purposes of... Just, just to do it. Just right. to change the way they do stuff. I like that. That's subversive, and I like that. Just buy them out and then go in and take it over. That rules. You can be like, this website is now called Aaron's World. And you're all fired because you're all trolls. <laughs> Come back Down. and learn how to write. Down with trolls, right? <laughs> See, I mean, bringing it back to Ebert, like, we're in a world where, in a world, where we're in a clone of a bunch of clones of a bunch of clones. I feel like Ebert is like the master vampire, and mm -hmm. we're all like the lesser vampires, and we're all trying to be as good as him. Yeah. But we don't know how to be because there can be it, there can be only one turned into a Highlander thing. I don't know what I'm saying. That's okay. While you were saying that, I was thinking, can I Photoshop him to look like a vampire? Is it too soon? <laughs> too soon, too soon. Don't do right. that. <laughs> Did you hear about all the people making fun of Leonard Moulton yesterday? No. Oh my gosh. It was horrible. I feel great affection for Leonard Moulton. And I felt very defensive of him, too. Yesterday, people on Twitter were like, there's no justice in the world. Ebert's dead and Leonard Malton's still alive. And Leonard Malton was like, hey, everybody stop making fun of me. <laughs> it was really bad. You know what? Even if it's a celebrity that, like, their death may have impacted me, I try to stay away from social media on celebrity death days. I mean, what is wrong with the world? We have to throw Leonard Malton under the bus? It's sick. <laughs> hey, what's the name of the guy who does all the AMC stuff? Because that's like my holy trinity is Ebert. That guy. The guy from AMC. I want to say his name is Robert, Robert something. I'm looking. I'm looking. Scanning. Scanning. Looking. Don't know. <laughs> Robert. Dang it, I don't have my phone. Oh, well. Well, that guy. Patterson? No. No. <laughs> Orky? No. No. England? No. Well, anyway, the guy who hosts all of the... He's, um, in my mind, he's a man of the 90s, but it's only because that's when I... My aunt in Louisiana who had fancy cable used to tape stuff off of AMC, like special movie viewings and stuff. No, it's not Roper. He slid a card under the door that says Roper. The guy, hang on. I'm just going to open the door. The, the guy who hosts, like, the AMC, like, before this special showing of Danny Kaye's Up in Arms, you should know that Virginia Mayo got her start as a chorus girl, like that guy. Can you, can you look that up? <laughs> he's like my husband today is like Harpo and Andy Richter and someone else combined <laughs> it's nice well either way I'm done rambling about it now <laughs> I'm sad I'm sad and I I'm sad I'm sad and I don't care who knows it 
I was just trying to look who does the voiceover for uh, the Walking Dead introductions. Because <laughs> mm. we were talking about AMC. In a world <laughs> where the dead are walking. <laughs> His voice is like so deep and scary. <laughs> I can't. I, I read all the spoilers for that show, but I don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. You read spoilers for stuff you can't watch. Yeah, it's not the <laughs> same. I read the spoiler for Jeff Who Lives at Home. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that sounds like a boring movie. And then, like, Jake texted me and he was like, I just watched Jeff Who Lives at Home. It was such a profound experience. I was like, my stupid spoiler habit. <laughs> I ruined my profound experience. Oh, I think that's on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, movie poster. Apparently it's really good. You should watch it. Oh, it hasn't even made back the money it spent yet. Really? It didn't even make $5 million and it cost $10 million to make. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I guess it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally amazing. I guess it's like the best movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> um... Speaking, I don't know why I'm thinking of this now, but have you seen uh, Safety Not Guaranteed? Yes, I love that movie. That was really good. It's one of those movies, there are certain movies that um, you don't know if you like it until the very last scene. Yeah. Because I I didn't, you know, you never know if it's like leading you astray or if it's wasting your time and then it gets to the ending and you're like, and it was all worth it. Yeah. I really like Audrey Plaza, so... Me too. It was pretty pretty worth sitting through, even if it would have been awful. But then at the end, I was like, whoa. She has what? such a great story. She's one of those actresses who moved out here. Uh, out here. That's weird. I mm. meant to say to Los Angeles, where I am <laughs> not currently living. Uh, she moved out and got discovered relatively quickly because she did stand up and stuff. And it's like, I think she was like 19 when she got Parks and Rec. Yeah, and probably so. It's one of those people who, like, you think they're really awesome, but they also kind of make you sick, because you're like, damn it. Why can't I be that talented? And she's got that whole thing going on that I wish I could have going on. Like, I always wanted to be, like, dark and brooding and serious, but, like, am not. am the opposite. I'm goofy and loud and kind of obnoxious. So she's she's got all the stuff going on I wish I had going on. She, like, has perfected deadpan humor, I think. She's our Morticia Adams. Yes, I agree. But way funnier. <laughs> and better hair. Oh, I just got a text message from my boss. What does it say? Our, Stop her, talking about meth! Her, her boss is there. She was just warning me. Oh, boy. He's not my favorite person. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's oh, going to well, happen? Nothing. They routinely visit, but... It's just going to be a gunfight. <laughs> no, at Spencer's we do more like a knife fight. I like it. <laughs> do you snap and dance? It's more, it's more visceral. <laughs> it's, more, it's more intimate. Oh, I think that's like the first time I laughed today. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> it's <welcome>. more intimate. <laughs> the jokes, they keep registering. <laughs> Well, it's we're at the 50-minute mark. Should I read us out with this tuxedo reveal? Go for it. Okay. Well, this has been Born for Geekdom, the podcast, soon to be changing. 
Yeah, probably by the next episode. Cool. And um, I'm very sad. I'm sad at the loss of Ebert. And Aaron, I'm really thankful that you let me talk about it a little bit. And it felt good to get off topic and not be sad for a little bit. I am going to pilgrimage to Chicago and pay my respects somewhere. Surely there will be some kind of shrine at the Sun-Times when I go in a couple of weeks. Um, So hopefully that'll be up and that'll happen. The date keeps changing when I'm going to be there. As soon as I know, I'm going to let you know. Okay. Um, And yeah, I'm too sad to say anything else. Do you have anything? (laughs) Oh, no. I think I'm all squared away. All right. So for for Ebert, I would have read his review of North, which is one of his most epic hated films. <laughs> but instead, because that book is out, I'm going to read his review of The Tuxedo because I think it's really funny. Okay. Here goes. There's an ancient tradition in action movies that the first scene is a self-contained shocker with no relevance to the rest of the plot. James Bond parachutes from from a mountainside. Clint Eastwood disarms a robber, etc. Jackie Chan's The Tuxedo opens with a deer urinating in a mountain stream. The deer, the urine, and the stream have nothing to do with the rest of the film. The movie's plot does involve water. The bad guy wants to add an ingredient to the world's water supply that will cause victims to dehydrate and die. To save themselves, they will have to buy the villain's pure water. Since his opening gambit is to sabotage, I repeat, the world's water supply... He will dehydrate everyone except those already drinking only bottled water, and so will inherit a planet of health nuts, which is just as well, since all the fish and animals and birds will dehydrate too, and everyone will have to live on power bars. (laughs) I've been waiting for a dehydrating villain for some time. My wife is of the opinion that I do not drink enough water. She believes the proper amount is a minimum of eight glasses a day. She often regards me balefully and says, you're not getting enough water. In hot climates, her concern escalates. In Hawaii last summer, she had the grandchildren so worked up, they ran into the bedroom every morning to see if Grandpa Roger had turned to dust. (laughs) The movie's villain, whose name is Banning, has a novel scheme for distributing the formula, or virus, or secret ingredient, or whatever it is, that will make water into a dehydrating agent. He plans to use water striders, those insects that can skate across the surface of a pond. In his secret laboratory, he keeps his ultimate weapon, a powerful water strider queen. Do water striders have queens, like bees and ants do? For an authoritative answer, I turn to Dr. May Berenbaum, head of the Department of Entomology at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and founder of the Insect Fear Film Festival, held every year at this great university. She writes, quote, Water striders are true bugs, i.e. insects with piercing and sucking mouth parts, that run or skate on the surface of bodies of water, feeding on the insects that fall onto the water surface. There are about 500 species of gerids in the world, and as far as I know, not a single one of those 500 species is eusocial, i.e. has a complex social structure with reproductive division of labor and cooperative brood care. I don't even know of an example of maternal care in the whole group. In short, the answer to your question is an emphatic no. I can't wait to see this film. It definitely sounds like a candidate for a future Insect Fear Film Festival. End quote. Hmm. More crushing evidence. Dr. Bruce P. Smith, expert entomologist at Ithaca College, writes me, There is no known species of water striders that has queens. The most closely related insects that do are some colonial aphid species, and the most familiar and much more distant relatives are ants, bees, wasps, and termites. He adds helpfully, One mammal does have queens, the naked mole rats of Africa. Revealing himself as a student of insect films, he continues, 
If my memory is correct, arachnophobia has a king spider, but no queen. Totally absurd. So there you have it. Professor Smith and Berenbaum have spoken. The evil Banning has spent untold millions on his secret plans for world domination and thinks he possesses a water strider queen when he only has a lucky regular water strider living the life of Riley. <laughs> but, but back to the tuxedo. Jackie Chan plays a taxi driver named Jimmy Tong, who is hired by Debbie Mazar to be the chauffeur for Clark Devlin, a multimillionaire secret agent whose $2 million tuxedo turns him into a fighting machine, also a dancer, a kung fu expert, etc. After Devlin is injured by a skateboard bomb, Jackie puts on the suit and soon partners with agent Del Blaine, Jennifer Love Hewitt, who realizes he has a strange accent for a man named Clark Devlin, but nevertheless joins him in battle against Banning. The movie is silly beyond comprehension, and even if it weren't silly, it would still be beyond comprehension. It does have its moments, as when the tuxedo inadvertently cold cocks James Brown, the godfather of soul, and Jackie Chan has to go on stage in place of the hardest working man in show business. He's very funny as James Brown, although not as funny as James Brown is. There's something engaging about Jackie Chan. Even in a bad movie, I like him, because what you see is so obviously what you get. This time, he goes light on the stunts, at least the stunts he obviously does himself, so that during the closing credits, there are lots of flubbed lines and times when the actors break out laughing, but none of those spellbiting shots in which he misses the bridge, falls off the scaffold, etc. And some of the shots are computer-generated, which is, kind of, which is kind of cheating, isn't it, with Jackie Chan? Luckily, special effects are not frowned upon at the Insect Fear Film Festival. Hmm. The end. Now I feel like I want to watch it. I know, right? <laughs> I love Jennifer Love Hewitt. She's one of my guiltiest pleasures. Well, can't hardly wait. <laughs> can't go wrong there. It's one of the best. I, we've been watching The Client List on Lifetime. <laughs> I have never seen an episode of that, but I've always wanted to. It's so trashy. <laughs> Do you know what's my favorite guilty pleasure Jennifer Love Hewitt movie? What's that? Heartbreakers. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I mean, Sigourney Weaver and oh, my life with names. That other person. I, I keep wanting to say Jane Siskel. <laughs> it's not right. Royal Tenenbaum. <laughs> Hang on. I'm looking. Hey, Jake. No. What's the name of Royal Tenenbaum? <laughs> Who's the actor who plays Royal Tenenbaum? Gene Hackman. See, that's why I wanted to say Gene Siskel. Gene Hackman plays the tobacco billionaire, and he does this brilliant, brilliantly sick, diseased character. It's you genius. Should, we should have just invited Jake into the bathroom with you. I think next time he may be joining us. <laughs> should just give in. <laughs> Instead of pretending like he's not involved. Hey, Jake. What? <laughs> We come secure my headset. <laughs> I wish you could see the bandages, but I really look like a hag this morning, so I can't send a picture. <laughs> oh. Okay. I think that does it. I think so. I'm sad. I'm going to go pout. Okay. Don't pout too hard. Can't make that promise. Watch some Buffy and cheer up. Okay. <laughs> Since you made me. I couldn't possibly. I okay. <laughs> All right, friend. I hope that you have a really good week, and I'll let you know when I'll be in Shy Town. 
All right. We will go uh, visit some kind of Ebert-specific landmark, maybe. Sounds like a plan. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. To your uni direction of microphone.